0: Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's the Word of God for His people. You may be seated and let's pray once again, and ask for God's help. So Father, we praise you for the gift of your word. We know we need it more than bread. Although we often go to other places for life, We humbly ask that you would come and and fill us today, that you would feed us through your word by giving us Christ, renewing us in Christ, satisfying us in Christ, making us more like Christ. For the glory of your name we pray, amen. On Thursday, February 24th, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. And that conflict still continues today, as do the calls for peace, which dominate headlines. And many nations have offered to facilitate peace deals to no avail. Recently, African leaders visited both countries on a peace mission, pleading for peace and putting the plight of their own countries on the world stage as the conflict uh, has put critical food supplies for African nations uh, in great jeopardy. And the headlines declare their, miss, their peace mission a failure. And even if the deal was struck, uh, this horrific invasion is just the latest flare from a war that began in 2014, which probably started because of something else earlier than that, which probably was a continuation of something earlier than that, and on and on it probably has, it goes. And yet, Even with just a few years of relative stability from 2014 until last year, a conflict erupted again. And that's an old song, isn't it? It's a story as old as time. There is no peace in the world because we do not have peace with God. And since sin entered the world, we don't have peace with each other because in our sin we don't have peace with God. And our alienation from God leads to our alienation from other. Each other. And before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked with God and with each other in perfect harmony. But as soon as they rebelled against God, their alienation from Him led to blaming and shaming each other, led to a pitting themselves against each other. And that has continued in the human race ever since, starting with the very next generation committing the very first murder. And so Colossians 1 defines human existence apart from Jesus Christ as one of alienation and hostile in mind towards God and our fellow man. There is no peace in our world because there is no peace with God. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It means to be whole, which means it encompasses a totality of being. It's concerned with the entire person, And the Greek in Galatians 5 has the same sense. It's the Greek word for shalom. And so peace means much more than simply staying out of conflict and strife. Peace in the Bible is not so much concerned with the absence of trouble or conflict as much as it's concerned with the overall well-being of a person in the world. And we, we, we get this in some levels. You've seen those commercials uh, for cholesterol medicine. I'm uh, more aware of those now as I'm getting older than I was you know, 10 years ago. And, and you've seen them where the, the people are out enjoying their life and everything's going great and they're having a good old time until their cholesterol number sneaks in off the side of the screen and hits them. And then the music gets all dark and anonymous and uh, everything goes sideways. Because no matter what it looks like on the outside, The inside's a wreck. And in a similar way, peace isn't just concerned with external negative things like trouble and strife. It's also concerned with the positive well being of the entire person. Peace is about heart, soul, and mind. And yet, it's also bigger than the individual. It's bigger than the individual. When God created the world in the first few moments of Genesis 1, what we read is that the world was without form and it was void until God spoke chaos into uh, that chaos into a peace-filled order. It was chaotic, then God spoke and made it peaceful. And so before sin, the Garden of Eden was a place of perfect peace between God and with Adam and Eve. And God is now moving history towards the day when that peace will be restored. We see these prophecies throughout the Old Testament, and we see the promises in the New Testament, and we see the place in Revelation uh, where new creation will be a place where peace reigns forevermore. It'll be a world where the lion dwells with the lamb and a little child will lead them. And where we'll live, there's no gates. It's it's like a picture for you don't have locks on your front doors because you won't have to worry about keeping the peace or being safe or the safety being shattered because peace will reign. And so as we see that peace is one of the grand themes of the Bible's overarching story, and, and, and we all long for that kind of peace, and then we're snapped back to the reality of the news headlines of our day. We're all aware of just how little shalom there often is inside of us and in our world. And so I don't know about you, but I often wonder, can the kind of peace that the Bible talks about really be true? Can, can we really have it? And the longing for it and the, the idea that peace is uh, something that can be achieved isn't exclusive to Christianity. I mean, all sorts of religions and industries are built around achieving wholeness. You can go one mile down Walton to the store with whole in its name. And the university that's kitty corner from here believes education must be one of humanity's great aims because it's vital for overcoming humans' brokenness and in restoring wholeness in our world. It's part and parcel of their mission statement. Now, maybe you don't pursue wholeness by health or education, but in one way or another, you too are aiming for the peace that we all long for. The problem is we don't pursue it the biblical way. In the Bible, the first step to true peace is humility. The first step towards true peace is humility. And we have to be honest with ourselves that the peace we long for on earth and the peace we long for in ourselves is a peace we cannot achieve ourselves. And not only does history prove that, and not only did yesterday prove that, all of a sudden the headlines don't care about peace between Russia and Ukraine, we want peace between Russia and Russia. And we don't even know what's going on. We still don't know what's going on. So not only does history prove that we can't achieve peace, our own personal experience tells us that the peace, any peace that we actually do reach in ourselves, and through our own circumstances is fleeting and fragile. And so the peace we long for must be uh, uh, humbly pursued by first admitting that we can't achieve it ourselves. But the good news that is found in that place of humility, of humbly admitting that we can't achieve it ourselves, is that God achieves what we cannot. God achieves what we cannot. The God of the Bible is the God of peace. Not only just from speaking peace into the formless and void of the first moments of creation, in the Garden of Eden, after the conflict Adam and Eve began, who took the first steps of reconciliation? Who took the first steps of peace? It wasn't our parents. The first steps they took were to start playing a game of hide-and-seek with an omniscient, omnipresent God, which obviously didn't go very well or probably took very long. And upon being found, what were their next steps? Well, they started blame-shifting and excuse-making. No, the first steps of peace in the Bible were taken by the God of peace. And he not only provided garments of animal skins for them because sin demands the shedding of blood— The God of peace also made a promise that he would one day achieve eternal peace between God and man. And and throughout the Old Testament, who do we see taking the initiative to maintain and accomplish this peace? It's the God of peace. And so when we come to the New Testament, uh, God is very frequently referred to as the God of peace over and over in the epistles. That's what we see. God is the God of peace peace. Because even before sin entered the world, even before the foundation of the world, God planned to end our alienation from him and restore wholeness in the universe and in us in Jesus Christ. And so the recent peace mission to Russia may have failed, as many predicted it would. And they predicted that because the obstacle facing those leaders was, humanly speaking, immovable. But the God of peace Will not fail in his peacekeeping mission in spite of the greatness of our sin. Because, in spite of how great our sin is, God is greater. His plans are bigger, His glory is at stake, which He will not give to another. And so, his glo- the glory of His peace will shine. And the greatness of His peace is displayed in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 9, when God's people had no hope of achieving salvation that they needed on their own, a light dawned in their darkness, in their gloom, and upon their anguish. And one title the light is given is Prince of Peace. And verse 3 says, Their lives were filled with sorrow, but when this Prince of Peace comes, their lives will be filled with joy, not because the circumstances of their lives changed but because someone greater than every circumstance is with them and is for them and has come to them. So in verses 4 and 5 in Isaiah 9, God comes down into their trouble and saves them. And so they no longer need weapons of war. They fashion their weapons in war into ways to cultivate and farm food. Where there was once enmity and strife and the need for peacekeeping, there's now peace forevermore. And finally, when the prince brings peace in verse 7, through the increase of his government, which brings an increase of peace that will never end, because he's going to sit on the throne of David and establish his never-ending kingdom of justice and righteousness, there will be peace. And so Jesus brings this peace that results in a worldwide universal reversal of the way things have been since the moment sin entered the world. You know, we, we think conflict and strife and trouble are normal because they're normal to us. They're everyday realities. But it's actually abnormal. And in, in, in the grand scheme of it all, this little time of conflict will actually be abnormal because eternity is going to be one of peace, and increasing peace and joy. And Jesus brings a peace that results in a worldwide reversal of the way things are. It's going to go from many worldly kingdoms to one, many worldly powers to one, from our feeble attempts at justice and righteousness to his accomplishing forever justice and righteousness. And so it's not just an absence of conflict that comes with the God of peace, but also a universal presence of delight and joy overall wellness that deep down we all long for. And this peace that begins with God also comes at great cost to God. It it does start with God, but it comes at great cost to Him as the Prince of Peace brings peace by giving Himself. And this self-giving sacrifice is hinted at in the prophecy of Isaiah 9 as God sends the Son that is given to us. Unto us, a Son is given. And what this giving entails is made clearer uh, in Isaiah 53. As the prince of peace, his identity becomes more clear as he becomes the suffering servant. Suffering not for his sins, but for his people's, which Romans 5 explains. Romans 5 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we now have received reconciliation and so in sin humanity is at war with god but god's peace mission didn't fail because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection accomplished his people's full reconciliation and brought our warring with God to an end. But the peace mission of the God of Peace continues on. It wasn't just to bring the war uh, with uh, sinners to an end, but the Holy Spirit now is taking center stage in the peace mission by producing God's peace in God's people and through God's people. So what the Spirit is doing now because of our triune God's peace mission is to enact and apply the real peace that God has won for us in Jesus Christ, apply it in our lives and and through our lives. And so we see this in, in two ways, in two ways. There is objective peace, and there is subjective peace. And let's look at both of those things. The, the first, the Spirit spotlights. The Spirit spotlights are objective peace with God. It's true. It's a fact. And the Spirit spotlights are objective peace with God. Uh, the Holy Spirit, even though it is center stage in the peace mission of the God of peace... Uh, The Spirit is often referred to as the shy person of the Trinity. The shy person of the Trinity. Because even though it's center stage, it's in the background. It's the the person of the Trinity that is at work in the forefront, but it takes the forefront by going to the background. And what what I mean by that is, uh, if you've been to a play... Uh, You know exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing, what his work entails, so to speak. Uh, A few years ago, Becky and I went to Chicago and we saw Hamilton. And it was a great night, Uh, but only because of the production team and the orchestra uh, working in the background and everyone along with them to make the show great. Because as great as it is, if there's no lights, there's no sound, there's no music, there's no stage hands, there's no costumes, there's no everything else, it'd probably be not as cool as everyone thinks it is. You'd go see it and you're like, what's the big deal? You can't see anything, hear anything, and everyone's running into each other because it's pitch black. But with the background team shining a spotlight on the people in the show, it becomes an amazing production. And so, like the person shining the floodlight on Hamilton, working in the background to make others shine, so the Holy Spirit loves to be in the background in order to shine a floodlight on the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's at work, but at work not to make us see the Spirit, but to see Jesus. And as the Spirit spotlights Jesus, it gives us an understanding of our objective Peace. In other words, the Spirit produces peace in our lives by helping us see who Jesus is. You see how different that is than we often pursue peace? I often pursue peace by having everything go the way I want. Jesus, the Spirit says, no, you should see Jesus and all the things that are going on in your life. That's the, that's the first steps to peace. And so the fruit of peace grows in us then, and we become more peaceful no matter what's going on around us As we understand that we don't have to work for peace with God. And we don't have to work to maintain our peace with God. We just have to enjoy the peace we already have with God because of Jesus. And so one way we enjoy our objective peace with God is by enjoying who we really are in Jesus. You want to be more peaceful? Well, then enjoy your status in Jesus. Not not your circumstances going okay, not your plans coming to fruition, not getting everything you want. Enjoy who you are in Jesus. And Galatians has already set us up to do that. That's, that's why this is, at this point in the letter, Paul gets to this fruit of the Spirit. We're already primed to enjoy our new status in Jesus. We are no longer slaves. We're free sons of God. And that's all by grace through faith that that heavenly status is more true of us than any earthly status that's true of you. That outweighs everything that might identify you, any status you might have on earth. Your heavenly status is more true of you than any of those things. Yet far too often, far too often, our days are filled with our seeking delight and joy in earthly identities and status symbols. I have a, a group chat with some friends who aren't in Christ. And uh, you know, one, one of the things that they often uh, put in that group chat are their promotions at work, their fancy vacations, their expensive cars, uh, Their uh, exotic watches i didn 't know there was that many watches in the world i didn 't know how expensive some watches can be. You know, like it 's a whole new world out there of watches and it 's like you could buy a house with the thing that 's on your wrist and your car. You could buy a little island with your car and your watch and it 's it's a, it's a whole world and and they pose with these things and they delight in them. But the Spirit helps the sons of God not delight in earthly identities or status symbols, but in our objective peace with God. And this is, a, this is one of those reversals that come through the Prince of Peace. Listen to Romans 8. Uh, Paul talks about it this way. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And, and I, he's talking to Christians, but just think about my group chat for a minute. When those things start to slip away, those guys lose it. They, they go from being confident on a beach and wherever, wearing their watch with their yacht in the background, to all of a sudden going, everything's falling apart. I'm going to lose it all. So, I mean, there's this spirit of slavery that goes when your peace is not found in Jesus. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's the heavenly identity that cannot be taken away. So the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you are children of God, then what? Then you're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Everything that's true of you uh, or true of Christ is true of you. Everything that is Christ is yours by faith, through your union with Jesus. You're a co-heir with the Son of God. Now I get that's really hard to pose with on Instagram. I get it. Like, I'm not sure. See, this is where, you know, illustrations break down. Because I don't know. Like, how can you how can you pose I don't know, like a, you know, the bobblehead Jesus, you know, or something? I don't know. Like, I don't know how to pose with on Instagram. But what we can delight in and glory in is that no matter what earthly status I have or don't have, I'm a child of God. The sovereign God of the universe who is moving history towards a day when he will reign over all, I can say, Abba, Father. And I get that's harder to pose with on Instagram, but the Spirit cultivates the peace of God in our lives as he spotlights Jesus and our objective peace with God in Him that can't be taken away. And the Spirit confirms that we are sons of God and ensures our eternal inheritance with Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, when the greatest conflict that you could ever have has ended, it's over because of Jesus, and when the greatest gift you could ever receive is already yours in Jesus, That's when the peace of God will flood your heart. No matter what you have. In spite of what you don't have, no matter whatever could happen, peace will flow like a river. And so five points. We, We sing all I have is Christ. We sing all we need is Christ. And then yet far too often we walk out of here and live, all I want is everything else. All I seek is everything else. I'm finding my joy in other things. So five points, enjoy the peace of God by first delighting in who you are in Jesus. And that spirit-produced objective peace with God will lead secondly to subjective peace. And it leads to subjective peace in us and and through us. In us and through us. Uh, The objective peace we have in Christ does not mean you won't face trouble in life you won't have times of sorrow or grief or hard narrow paths to walk. It does mean that you can have profound peace even in the midst of the most troubling times. A peace that surpasses understanding. Like all the trouble swirling around you and you're peaceful. And everyone goes, what in the world? How, how is that? How can that be true? That's the peace that passes understanding, And then you can have it. It can be yours. And Romans 8 goes on to say one way that it is ours. It's, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things, bad and good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then Paul concludes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, well, who can be against us? And, and the rhetorical answer is everything, <laughs> right? He's not saying nothing's against you. He's, he, what he means is what's ultimately against you. It, it, no matter what may stand against you, if God is for us, ultimately nothing can uh, be victorious and overcome us. Because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, well, how will he not also with Jesus graciously give us all things? And so the Spirit produces peace, even in trouble, by reminding us that since we're sons of God and co heirs with Jesus of an eternal kingdom of peace, then nothing, I mean, absolutely nothing, Not even trouble, and ultimately not even death, is against you because the God of peace is for you. And when that, when you soak in that, then you will be a person of peace. As the Spirit uh, turns your eyes to the God of peace, the peace of God will more and more be yours. As you look to the God of peace, the peace of God will more and more be yours. All right, so how do we work this out in everyday life? I mean, when your circumstances begin to overwhelm you, and they will. And when the things going on begin to flood your heart with worry and fear, and they will if you travel down that road. The way that peace flows like a river The way to have peace that surpasses understanding. The spirit-filled way of peace begins by admitting that you can't achieve it on your own and fixing your eyes on the God who is above all the circumstances. The God who is for you, in spite of what everything may look like around you, reminding yourself that if he did not spare his own son for me, then these things too are accomplishing God's good for me, even if I don't know how, even if I can't see it. And so what you see then that our greatest obstacle to peace is not what's happening to you. We, we wish it was the greatest obstacle to your peace is actually you we don't like admitting that because i don't want to be my i got enough problems i don't want to be my problem too but you are <laughs> okay i can say it up here and you you can i don't know i guess you can walk out but most of the time you just sit there so just sit there and take it right you your greatest problem you're your greatest obstacle to your own peace because when something arises in our lives, instead of taking the spirit way to true peace, we usually start down the fleshly roads of uh, if that. You know what I mean. Many of you are frequent you know, fellow travelers with me on the uh, if that highway. Okay? When, when something happens in our lives, instead of heading towards God in that situation and reminding ourselves of the objective things that are true of God and true of us because of Jesus, instead of heading that, down that road, we often turn down the if, right, of the circumstance. And what happens when your first turn is if? Well, the next one is then. Because if this is happening, I'm pretty smart. I know, I definitely know what's happening next. That's going to happen. And on and on and on we go. Because if this happens, then that's definitely going to go, and then that's going to happen, and then that's going to happen. And then you you wonder why you're so anxious, (laughs) and you're so filled with worry and fear. Because you've traveled down the road, that's the complete opposite of peace. And instead, we're to become childlike. We're to become childlike. Listen to Psalm 131. You know, rather than thinking we know it all, this is, this is, the, where, this is the, the road that we turn to. Not on if that, but become like a child. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And it's this picture that in the midst, this is David, in the midst of trouble, he has removed himself from trying to conquer his circumstances and humbles himself like a child and goes to God. Now our kids are getting too big to sit on our laps, uh, both in size and in age, and they still do it, and maybe you still do it, you know. but most of the time, if you as an adult climb into your mother's lap, half the time it's a joke and everyone starts laughing because it's kind of funny because we do. We do grow, grow out of climbing into our mother's physical lap. But unfortunately, we often pridefully think that we're too grown up to climb into our Heavenly Father's lap. And Psalm 131 shows us the way of peace, that like a child climbs into their mom's lap, in childlike faith, we must put ourselves into our Heavenly Father's lap, into his control, into his arms, to, to have him shield us and use the circumstances, whatever they may be, for his glory and our good. And that takes childlike faith. And, but but, the, but the, um, the place that you find yourself in, rather than going down if that road, when you travel the childlike road, is that instead of hurtling towards worry and fear, calm and quiet hurtle towards you. It's not that you're producing that calm and quiet, but that the Spirit of God gives you the peace of God because His arms are around you. And if He is for you, then nothing's against you. And if nothing's against you, well then, even if there's lots of things to worry and fear, calm and quiet come to you. And even as the world churns on the outside, the waters of the soul inside are like glass. And so the question then becomes, what are the waters of your soul today? Are you churning with preoccupation, worry, fear, the what-ifs? Are the what-ifs chopping up the waters of your soul? And verse 1 points us then to the path of subjective peace of Psalm 131. How do you climb into your father's lap? Well, David begins by saying this in verse one: "O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And because I think this is in a time of trouble, the things David's not preoccupying himself with are how to get out of the trouble, how to conquer the trouble. He's not playing the what-if games. He's handing all the what-ifs over to God and saying, I'm I'm here. I'm, I'm not preoccupying myself with things that are too big for me to control, things I can't control, even if I pretended like I could. No, like a weaned child, I'm gonna climb into your lap and trust you and that's the place where we find peace but to get to that peace we have to repent of pride and pride is the great obstacle to peace it's our own pride and so the spirit produces peace as it grants us repentance of our pride and it gives us the strength to climb into our father's arms as the Spirit enables us to trust in God's providence. Because when you're in our Father's arms, you will begin to know more and more that He will also graciously give you everything that you need. And so as the Spirit then produces that subjective peace in you, uh, the Spirit then will produce God's peace through you. If you are a person of peace, you'll live a life of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is contrasted with the works of the flesh. Uh, We looked at those uh, a few weeks ago now, but you see that list in verses 19 through 21. And uh, when it gets to the the social uh, sins of the work of the flesh, what we see is that it's pride that's actually at the root of all those things. the things that manifest themselves in our lives as work of the flesh, the, the conflict words are all manifestations of pride. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, All of those things uh, come about when you place you at the center of your own life. You at the center of every circumstance. You at the center of every solution to every problem you face. And left to ourselves, we'd never overcome these things. But in Christ, through the Spirit, we have the peace of God. Because the God of peace is with us. And when we have the peace of God, we can be at peace with others. Now listen to Ephesians 2. i say it this way. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he's talking about Jew and Gentile believers, which also happens to be the context of Galatians. You, you remember Paul was saying, "Hey, I walked in to that uh, that that room once uh, where Peter was, and everyone was on the sides and uh, at the at the church potluck, and it, because there was this hostility between Jew and Gentile." And then he says, and now in Galatia, it's happening again. You're dividing yourselves over the ordinances, over the works of the law. But there's not two people. This hostility should not be. There's one. He has reconciled us in Jesus, not only to God, but to each other. So where there was no peace, Jesus achieved it. Jesus is our peace with God and with our neighbors. And actually... That's the first steps we need to take when we're trying uh, to seek peace with others. We often try to find solutions, compromises there's a funny comedy you know where we talk about all the different situations and tvs that you get to like resolve conflict there's you know win lose there's win win which is also a lose but you need to do win 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 so that everyone wins that's how you end conflict and we have all these strategies where we try to walk through conflict with each other But in the bible you know we seek peace by first looking to jesus because it's only in him that the hostility that should exist between us is broken down. And so Ephesians 2 then goes on to say when we look to Jesus and then we seek that gospel peace, uh, the, the Bible actually calls the gospel the gospel of peace. That's what Ephesians goes on to say. When the gospel is preached, what's actually it preached is peace. When the gospel is preached, it's not just The benefits, it's actually Jesus who is peace personified. Peace is preached because the gospel of peace is the good news that the God of peace reconciles alienated human sinners to himself and to each other through the prince of peace and brings them in to an inheritance of an eternal kingdom of peace that will never end. It's the gospel of peace. God is working to restore peace in us. And he's working to restore peace in this world through us. Because as he brings those who were at war to himself into a new body, the church, he brings those who were at war with each other and should still be at war with each other into one new family. And a family that's walking towards an eternity where peace will never end. Isn't that a great thought? No more conflict, no more trouble, no more strife, no more dissensions, no more divisions, no more anger, no more rivalries, no more envy. Peace, harmony. And so, friend, the peace you long for is only found in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. It means the Bible calls you to turn from your pride and sin to Jesus in repentance and faith. And as you do, the peace that you long for will flood your soul. And five points, are you a peacemaker or a peacebreaker? Is the peace that is objectively true, true in you and through you? And you can break peace, not just with others, but you can actually break up the subjective peace you have with God. Do you enjoy your status You can actually churn the waters of your own soul by not enjoying the status you have as a free son of God because of Jesus. What road are you walking towards peace? Not just in your relationship with others, but also with God. And the more you delight in the God of peace, the peace of God will flow like a river in you and through you. And we do this. Paul Paul ends... Uh, well, he, he, he starts his second half of Ephesians in, in Ephesians 4, telling us to walk the path of peace with each other. Walk worthy of the gospel. If you believe the gospel, then be patient, he says. Be patient and bear with one another in love. And be eager to maintain the spirit or the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Is, is that what our neighbors encounter in us, brothers and sisters? Is that what they see of the people here when they they encounter us and they, they talk to us? A patient soul, a patient, peaceful soul that not only enjoys the peace of God, but is eager to share the gospel of peace with others, to proclaim peace to those who are far off longing for it. Or do they find themselves when they encounter us in the midst of our inner storm that has spilled out into our everyday life because we're walking down the ways of worry and fear rather than the ways of peace? What are the waters of your soul like this morning? And the good news is, brothers and sisters, if they are churning, God doesn't expect you to, to do this peacemaking work. He doesn't expect you to calm the waters of your own soul. That's why it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit cultivates the peace of God. It cultivates the peace of God because the God of peace gives his peace freely. And so, five points. If your soul is not at peace this day, even if these things are objectively true of you. then ask the Spirit to give you eyes to see the great Prince of Peace and to remind you of his great work that's already finished and all the things that are already true of you in Jesus. And you'll begin to see the waters of your soul calm. And praise God, he isn't a stingy giver. Some of you are like, I'm pretty unpeaceful. I have a lot of raging things going on. The God of peace isn't stingy. He is a lavish giver of peace. He longs for you to know this peace, to experience this peace, and to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. He longs for us to not only know this peace, but to walk it out for his glory among the neighbors and the nations. And so may the peace of God flow like a river in us and through us, I pray. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the peace that is true, that it's not just a pipe dream, that it's not just an ideal that we'll never experience until eternity, but that the Spirit is cultivating this peace in us now. And that for the glory of your name, that peace can be manifest through us for the sake of your glory among our neighbors and the nations. And so may the gospel of peace flood our hearts today so that through us the gospel of peace might be proclaimed to those who are still far off. And we pray that you would make five points a place of peace and that you would make us peacemakers in the world for your glory, we pray. Amen.